Well, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Or you can uh, follow along with us on the YouVersion app this morning. And while you are turning there, just kind of want to recap uh, where we've been. We've been going through uh, the book of Ephesians. And the title of the series has been called From Death to Life. You know, how we were once dead in our sins and our transgressions. We were dead and we had been brought to life. And in chapter 1, we talked about how, you know, Creator God, God our Father in Heaven, who created everything, put everything into its place, hung the stars, the moon, all of that stuff. That same God would care for us so much that He would want us, He would desire us to be adopted into the family of God, into sonship, to be raised uh, with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's an amazing thing. And he accomplished this through his son. And not only did he accomplish this through his son who came and, and lived and died and rose again, but we are marked with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a, it's a promissory note, right? It's, an, it's our earnest that we have a heavenly reward waiting us. And in chapter 2, we talked about kind of the, the main theme of this series, that idea from death to life. We were once dead in our sins and our transgressions. That means we were separated from God. And we can't raise ourselves spiritually. We can't do that on our own. We needed help. We needed a Savior. And so God, who is rich in love and rich in mercy, chose to bring us um, out of the grave while we were still dead. And he did this because of his grace, his unmerited favor. And Paul lays it on thick. It's not just this that we received. No, we also have this, again, this eternal reward in the heavenly realms with Christ. And he reminds us it's not by anything that you've done. You can't earn this. You can't work for it. It's nothing like that. No, it's only by His grace that you have been saved. And then Paul goes on to say, but listen, not only have you been saved by grace, but you are workmanship. You are a creation of God. He, he made you. He created you. You are His workmanship. And because of that, and because of what He's done for you, you now have the responsibility to go and do good works. The works that He has set out for you in advance. And we're called to serve. We're called to serve others. We're called to serve Him. If we've been saved, if we have been changed, it is our responsibility to go out and show people that by how we love, by how we serve. And then we come to Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. And Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21, it's something I've been reading over and over and over and over again and over and over and over again. I've just been amazed at the words that Paul speaks in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and following. It's this amazing prayer. And, you know, I, heard, I hear it said sometimes, what should I pray for? You know, the Lord's Prayer is a good example of how we should pray. And sometimes we ask, what are, what are some things that I should be praying for in my life? And I think these requests that Paul makes for the people at Ephesus, I think the requests that he makes for them are requests that we should take and we should make these our request. And so this morning, as we go through Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21, we're going to see these requests that Paul makes. And I think they would be, it would be wise of us to emulate these requests when we pray. 
And so we're going to start in verses 14 and 15. And this is what it says. It says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, in order to understand his for this reason, we see at the beginning of chapter 3, he says for this reason, and then he goes in and talks about uh, what God has done in the life of the Gentiles, how he has brought them into the fold. Now, they, along with the nation of Israel, are part of that promise. Paul talks about what God has done in his own life and how he has saved him, how he has changed his life. And then uh, towards the end, it says, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And so now we're going to see Paul knowing that we can go before God, that we can approach God with the freedom and the confidence to make our request to him Paul is going to make this request to God. And so he says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father. I kneel before the Father. Paul has used this idea before of kneeling before God. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, he says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And in Romans fourteen eleven, he says, it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. And this is pretty amazing, uh, verse 14 here, for this reason I kneel before the Father. It's a neat little connection. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is getting ready to leave Ephesus. And as he's getting ready to leave Ephesus, he speaks with the elders. And then before he leaves, he does something pretty amazing. And this is what it says in Acts 20, 36 or 38. It says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was a statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. In Acts chapter 20, before he leaves the elders, what does he do? He kneels and he prays. And here we see him as he's writing this letter, as he's penning this letter, for this reason I kneel before the Father and I pray. And you know, there are various forms of posture that we see people take in Scripture when they're before God. Some stand, some kneel. And I think what matters is the heart that we bring before God. But sometimes I think maybe we should try kneeling before the Father when we pray. But he prays, and he says he prays to the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. This is the original Father. This is where the title comes from. He is the OG Father. There is no other Father before Him. He is the original. Like Warren Wiersbe says, as Creator, God is the Father of each man. But as Savior, He is the Father of those who believe. He is Father. He is ultimately Father. He is Creator. And so every, that, that name, Father, it comes from Him. And then in verse 16, He says this, I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit and your inner being. And so here we see Paul's first request that he makes. His first request is that they would be strengthened by God's power through the Spirit. He prays that the people in Ephesus, they would be strengthened by God's power 
through the Spirit. The word here for power in the Greek is dunamis. And this word is where we get our root word in English for dynamite. And we know the power of dynamite, don't we? It's, it's a powerful thing, dynamite is. You know, enough dynamite around an arena that's been abandoned, that they're getting ready to tear down. They line the building with dynamite, and that dynamite, what does it do? It explodes and it causes the building to collapse. Dynamite is powerful. And so we see here the same thing, his, his powerful, his powerful his power that he has and he prays that we would be strengthened with power through the spirit and the inner being it's our spiritual part it's the spiritual part of a person we talked about this last week this in our spiritual life we were dead and we had to be raised by christ and so when we see this inner being this is the spiritual part of a person and inside of us there is this desire right to do what is good We want to do what is right. We want to live the way we're supposed to live. We want to follow uh, what Christ tells us to do. We want to follow the Word of God. There's this desire in us to follow the law of Christ. But yet, here's the thing. We need help. We need help. We cannot do this on our own. We cannot live the way we're supposed to live on our own. We need that spiritual strength. And where does that spiritual strength come from? It comes from God's power through the Spirit in our life. And if we choose to ignore the Spirit, what will happen? We'll fall. And why is that? Well, there's this little thing called sinful nature. There's this little thing called sinful nature. We want to do what is right, and yet within us there is this desire also to do what is wrong. We have this war in ourselves constantly. I want to do the right thing, and yet, oh man, the wrong thing looks so good sometimes. We need help. We need strength because without the Spirit, we will fall because of the sinful nature. And if you're thinking this morning, man, I'm probably the only one here who struggles with the sinful nature. Well, you're not. We all struggle with it. As a matter of fact, Paul understood this really well. In Romans chapter 7, 21 through 24, this is what Paul says. He says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul understood. He was saying, man, I want to do what is right. I delight in, the, in God's law. But yet, yeah, here's this problem. There's this other nature within me that is waging war. And he says, what a wretched man am I. And if you read that and you think, Paul says, what a wretched man am I. Paul also has said in Scripture, of all sinners, I am the worst. And if Paul says that, what hope do we have, right? But here's the thing. Paul understood that. But Paul also in Romans chapter 8 gives us the answer. In Romans chapter 8, 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Because of what Christ has done, we can live by the law of the Spirit, not the law of the flesh. And you see, the flesh will tempt us and it will try to fill our hearts with everything that goes against what God wants us to do. And that is why we need the Spirit in our lives. We need His guidance. We need His direction. We need to get out of the way sometimes and let Him work in us. And I say it all the time. We need to approach the Holy Spirit way more than we do. Because he's very important and we need his help. And why do we need his help? Well, Paul gives us a reason in verse 17. And this is what verse 17 says. It says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And this is Paul's second request here, that Christ would dwell in their hearts. That Christ would dwell in their hearts. And something interesting here about this word dwell this word dwell, it's a Greek word. And this, this word, it's kadaioksis. Uh, and uh, the verb form of this is kadaioksia. My Greek is not the greatest. But this verb, is a, it's, a, it's a great word. It's an amazing word because when you break this word apart, oikeo means to be at home, to, to settle really, to settle. The word kato, it means down. And so together you have this word that means to settle down. To settle down. And this is what it's supposed to be. Christ is to dwell in our hearts. And really what he's saying is to settle down in our hearts. And we've heard this phrase before, right? Like when you're trying to figure out where you want to live and you find this place and you say, I want to settle down here. Right? Like, I want to settle down here. I want to build roots here. I want to make my home here. And that is what we should desire for Christ in our lives, that He would settle down, make His home within our hearts. But here's the question. What is keeping Him from being at home in our hearts? You see, the problem is, the home's not ready because it's filled with so many other things. Our heart is filled with so many other things. It would be like if I came up to you and I said, hey, I would really like to buy your house. And if you were uh, thinking, okay, I'll sell you my house, and you make that deal with me, and you say, okay, you can buy my house, and I say, okay, I want to move in tomorrow, though. I can't move in yet because all your stuff is there unless you uh, don't have anything. And, well, then that would be easy and we'll just forget this whole uh, illustration. But if you had all of your stuff in your house, I couldn't move in yet. The house isn't ready. And the problem is it's the thing that's keeping him from being at home in our hearts is all the things that we keep in our hearts that shouldn't be there. These sins, these things in our life that we let live in our hearts Mark chapter 7, verse 20 through 23, Jesus says it pretty plainly what is in our hearts. He goes, he went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. 
And this is why the strength of the Spirit is so important. We need the strength of the Spirit in our life to come and help us to live the way we are supposed to live, to do the things we are supposed to do, because if we want Christ to dwell in our heart, to settle down, make His home in our heart, we have to get this other stuff out. And in order to do that, we need the help of the Spirit. And so we need the Spirit to help us so that we can have Him dwell in our heart. And that is a request that we should make to God often. You know, send me your power through the Spirit. Christ, make your home in my heart. And then he continues on in the latter part of verse 17. He says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. We're going to stop there for just a second. Being rooted and established in love. Rooted, it's an agricultural word. We think of it like this, a tree, it needs deep roots for nourishment, right? And, and for it to be stable, it needs deep roots. The same thing goes for a believer. We need the same thing in Christ. We need to be deeply rooted in Him, deeply rooted in the Word if we are to do the things that we are supposed to do, right? If we are to live the way we are supposed to live, we need to be rooted in Him and His Word, Psalm 1, 1 through 3 is one of the best descriptions of this. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers to live the way that we are called to live, we need to be rooted deep in Him and deep in His Word. Then there's this word established. This word established, it's a, or in some translation, it may say grounded. It's an agricultural, this is an architectural word, architectural word. And it's this idea of laying the foundation, the la- laying the foundation on which something is to be built. And we need this in our lives. We need to build our life on firm foundations. And that is Christ and His words. If we want our life to be uh, strong in Christ, then we need to be built on solid foundations. Matthew seven twenty four through 27 is a great example of this. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We need to be rooted in him. We need to be established in him. And then he goes on to say this, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And so here is the third request that Paul makes for them. He says, he makes this request that they would be able to understand the love of Christ. And Paul wishes that each person individually along with each person collectively and with all of the Lord's holy persons or saints together would have this power. And this word in the Greek means inherit strength. We would have this inherit strength to understand the love of Christ. 
And Paul goes into such a beautiful description of the love of Christ to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And so to describe this, he uses something that we would understand. He uses measurements. We need measurements, right? When we, when we go to build something, when we go to do something, we use measurements. How deep, how wide, how long, how big, all this stuff. We, we use these idea of measurements. And Paul uses these words to describe how big in scope the love of Christ is. It's big, it's deep, it's wide, it's long. There's nothing like the love of Christ. Paul uses similar language in Romans chapter 8, 38 through 39. He says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love is a big, big love. It is a large love. There's nothing that can measure it. I can't take a tape measure and stretch it across this room and say this is how long the the love of Christ is. It goes so much far beyond that. His love is big. And one of the things that we should be asking God for often, please help me to understand the love of Christ. Just how big your love is. How amazing your love is. If we want a good relationship with Him, it starts by asking, God, can you please help us to understand just how big the love of Christ is? And I'm blown away by reading this just to see how big the love of Christ is. And then he continues in verse 19. He says this, And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. He makes a similar statement in Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This love is so big, so deep, so wide, so tall, so everything, all these measurements, it's just huge. And here's the thing. It's so big, it's beyond understanding. It's beyond understanding. And, and I don't think, to be honest, I don't think we're ever going to be able to fully understand just how big the love of Christ is until that day when we stand face to face before Him. I don't think we'll really ever fully grasp just how big it is, but we can start to seek understanding. We can seek God and ask, help me to understand to the best of my ability that my mind can comprehend. Help me to understand the love of Christ. And it's hard. It's hard to understand the love of Christ because to me, sometimes it just doesn't make any sense. How can he have that much love for somebody like me who has so much sin? How can he have such great love for somebody with such great brokenness? How can he do that? It just doesn't make any sense. But the more you learn and the more you understand the love of Christ, the more amazed you grow at that love. And I'll add this, and I don't think I'm overstepping or taking anything out of context when I say this, but I think the more that you understand the love of Christ, the more you seek to understand the love of Christ, the more your love for others will start to grow. When you fully understand how much God loves, the more it helps you to love others. The people you think are unlovable because of what they've done in your life in the past, The more you see the love of Christ in you and what he has done for you, the more you are better able to love those people around you. And then he continues in verse 19. And this, 
I'm going to be honest. This is blo- every time I read this, I just it, it blows my mind and it, ma- it amazes me what Paul says here. He says, "To know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness." Of God. This is the fourth request that Paul makes, that they would be filled with the fullness of God. What is that? What does that even mean? The fullness of God. Well, here it is. The fullness of God is simply who He is. It's who He is. It's His attributes. It's His character. It's His power. It's His perfection. It's His holiness. It's everything that makes God who He is. It's everything that makes God, God. You know, this phrase is only seen one other time, and it's when he said the fullness of God was in display in his Son. That's the only other time we see this. And so, this is such a big thing, the fullness of God, everything that makes God who he is. And we could have this fullness of God dwelling in us. Think about that. Be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Everything that God is living in us. John 14:23 Jesus talks about this he said Jesus Jesus replied anyone who loves me will obey my teaching my father will love them and he will come to them and make our or we will come to them and make our home with them the fullness of God dwelling in us it's an amazing thing. And it's not to say that this makes us equal with God, but that we are partakers of this divine nature of God. Francis Folks says this about this verse. He says, He, Paul, thus prays ultimately that they may receive not any attribute of God or any gifts of His, not love, not knowledge, not strength alone or in combination, but no less than the very highest He can pray for, the full indwelling of God. Of course, the eternal God can never be limited to the capacity of any one or all of his sinful creatures. At the same time, Paul does not want to pray for anything less than that of God's people may be filled to the very fullness of himself that he seeks to bring into their lives. He doesn't just ask for one thing. God, just don't give me this characteristic. Don't give me just this characteristic. No, he says the fullness of God the fullness of God, to so the full measure in us. And I think God questions, they, they sum this up in a much easier way to understand. It says, the goal of every Christian is to be filled completely with God so that his character, his attributes, and his love define our existence. Brad said it earlier when we were going through communion time. He said that we should look like Christ. And that's what this is saying. That when the fullness of God dwells in us, people will start to see Him in us by the way we love, by the way we serve, by the things that we do. Our character, the way we live, should be a picture of Him living, dwelling in us. His attributes, His character should be displayed through us, when we are out doing life, whether it's at work or school, wherever we are, people should be able to see His characteristics in us if He is dwelling in us. And so are we seeking the fullness of God in our life to be so consumed by Him that His attributes are clear to everyone who sees us? 
And so Paul makes these requests to have the strength of God through the power of the, or through the, or the power of God through the Spirit in our lives, to have Christ dwell in our hearts, to settle down and make His home in our hearts, to understand the fullness of His love and to be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. And these are things that we should be praying for every day. God, help me uh, with the with Your power through the Spirit to help me make the right decisions, to do the things that I should be doing, to stay away from these things that are temptations, these things that are going to lead me astray man father send the son send your son to dwell in my heart to make his home in my heart to settle down in my heart help me to get rid of these other things that are in my heart so that he can take control father help me to understand just how big how wide how long how deep the love of jesus is and father Come and dwell in us with your fullness in our lives. These are things that we should be praying. And here's the thing. You might think these are big prayers. These are lofty prayers. What, what, how can we know that these things would be granted in our life? How do we know that God can grant these things in our life? Well, this is what Paul says in verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, or imagine according to his power that is work that is at work within us. You want to know how can Christ possibly uh, fulfill these prayer requests in my life? Well, it tells us here he can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Immeasurably more than what we ask or can imagine. I don't know about you. I, sometimes I think, man, I, my mind can barely comprehend things now to think about how they're immeasurable. Immeasurable than we could even ask or imagine. That's how big and how powerful, and again, this word power here that it uses, same word for dynamite. Powerful is the love of Christ, that he, the love of God, that He could do more than we could ask or imagine. And so when you go before God and you ask God for His power through the Spirit, when you go to God and you ask for His Son to dwell in your heart, and when you go to God and you ask, can I understand the love of Christ, and you go to God and ask for fullness and measure, you can go to Him confident, knowing that He can do things more powerful, more than you could ever imagine. That's a great confidence to have. That's great confidence to know that's who he is and that's how powerful and how big he is. And no matter what we bring to him, we know that he could do way more than we could ever ask or imagine. And this is how Paul ends verse 21. He says, To him be the glory and the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Because of all these things that he can do, The only thing that we can do is come before Him and give Him glory, give Him honor, give Him praise because He is worthy of glory. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of the honor that He receives, all the adoration, all the proclamations we make. He is worth all of those things because of who He is. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they come up, I want to challenge you, take this home, read this chapter 
over and over and over again. Read verses 14 through 21 over and over and over again. And think about just the power of the Spirit in our life. Think about Christ living in our hearts. Think about the understanding, the trying to understand the love of Christ. Think about the fullness of God in you and tell me that that doesn't change your life. Just reading that and over and over and over and over again and praying those things over and over and over again. It's an amazing scripture and to think about having the fullness of the Trinity at work in our lives, dwelling in our hearts. But here's the thing, in order to experience this, it starts with a step one. It starts by giving our lives to Him. It starts by giving our lives to Him, by coming before Him and laying our lives down at His feet and saying, I want you to take over my life. I want to give my life to you. Of all the things I can't comprehend, I can't comprehend how God could love us sinners so much that he would give his son for us. And that that's exactly what he did. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here's the thing. If you want to experience this, if you want to experience this amazing love, it starts by giving your life to him. And it is worth it. On your connect card, you, if you have a decision to make, you can write it on there. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. The elders, I know, would love to talk with you and pray with you. And if you've given your life to him this morning, how is your inner self? How is your inner being? Are you seeking God's strength by relying on the Spirit? Are you leaning on the Spirit? Are you getting out of the way of the Spirit and letting him help you? Are you making Jesus at home in your hearts? Are you trying to grasp and understand His love? Are you seeking to be full of God? If you are, keep turning to Him over and over and over again. Keep praying these things. But if you're not, it's time to lay these requests at His feet. God, help me to do the right thing through Your Spirit. Help me to be a, help. Please be at home in my heart. All these things. Maybe this morning you need to spend some time just laying these requests at his feet. If that's the case, while we sing, you can do that. You can sit, you can come up here and talk. I'd love to talk with you. But this morning, the question is, how is your inner self? If you have to pray and talk to him about it, please do so. If you have a decision you need to make, please do so as we stand this morning and we sing.